absorb this. Okay, well, let's get going. Um, Let's open with prayer. Father God, um, we know that you are more, uh, you are greater than uh, we can imagine. You're greater in yourself, in creation, all your works, greater in uh, your uh, work on our behalf and your goodwill on our behalf. We pause to express our need of you in so many different ways. We depend on you. We depend on you for uh, making uh, plain to us who we are, who you are, um, for bringing it home to our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit is the great teacher of each one of us. Uh, we're very dependent on you. And we just ask that you will bring out in this lesson, this time we have together, something that's transformative to us, uh, something that addresses uh, uh, how to worship you, how to love you, how to love one another, how to serve one another. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, um, I uh, <clears throat> I feel it's necessary before we even get started to make a, a correction, even a kind of an apology for something I said a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it, it was, and I think it was when James was teaching. It wasn't when when I was. <clears throat> uh, I had a flare up of. Uh, an old disease, foot and mouth disease, uh, having nothing to say, I never, nevertheless said. Uh, and I kind of, I want to walk it back a bit. Um, I, I liked the, uh, the, the first chapter, Second Corinthians, that God comforts us in all our affliction, so that uh, so that we can comfort others. The God of all comfort. Okay, and that's true enough in itself. But I kind of modeled that forward, and I thrashed about and couldn't think of the right word. I was trying to. Th- I was thinking of uh, the Hebrews passage, three or four, where where uh, we we uh, watch out for one another. Okay, uh, how does it put it? We exhort one another. Okay, you remember that passage where. We're constantly watching out for one another. I was thinking, trying to think of that word exhortation. The only word I thought of was confrontation. And I said, God, God confronts us <laughs> so we can confront others. Well, that's not what I meant at all. Uh, and that's not right. Um, so I want to walk that back. Now, uh, 
But there is exhortation, and if this book is not exhortation, then I don't know what is, uh, among other things. And exhortation is a much broader word than, than just confronting and sharp engagement. Okay, it's, it's exhorting people in the truth, encouraging, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you kind of have to, you say, you have to put before somebody that this means this, and you're not there. You're veering off to the, to the, to the left, or to be politically equal here, to the right. Um, so, I want to walk that back. Now, having said that, this chapter uses words that kind of grate against our very modern sensibilities. Uh, I, and by modern, I mean like in the last 15 years or so. Uh, <clears throat> and I think it probably dates back to when he first developed this material. So when we hit words that, that kind of grate against you, I'll try to be cognizant of that and... Um, give you a definition that maybe works for you better, maybe works for me better. Things like confront, agenda, which we've already said we're not going to have an agenda for anybody, but God does have an agenda for the church, a plan, okay, for accomplishing his purposes. That's what an agenda is. Uh, Model, I mean, all I can think of is the, the enjoyment I had as a child with my mom and my dad putting together model planes and model cars and stuff like that. That was fun. Uh, so he's going to use words like that that I think create, perhaps rightly so, against our sensibilities. So, But we have to kind of absorb what he's trying to say here. Um, before we even get, I mean, another thing, before we get into the material, we could, we could march through the classroom here, uh, uh, Blake very helpfully put something something on the board that relates, uh, and, and uh, I don't know where this comes from, but uh, let me just read it for you, and because it's it's what we're going to be covering this morning in a way at one level. The true sight of God leads to awe of God, leads to fear of God which, I mean, awe and fear are sometimes almost the same thing, leads to remorse for sin, leads to repentance, humility, patience in there. And then uh, he, he has here urgent, passionate battling, and I would say uh, engaging urgently in the things that God calls us to, Okay. And, and it, I mean, we, in the men's Bible study, we were looking at First John, and it's a war, guys and gals. <laughs> I don't, uh, uh, guys probably <laughs> relate more to the war, the battle uh, imagery, but, but for every Christian, we're engaged in a battle. If we don't, if we don't go once more into the breach, dear friends, then the breach is going to come to us. The battle's going to come to us. And God is, is, is right there with us. He is really the Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? 
Yeah, battle, battle language can be kind of uh, intimidating, <laughs> be very intimidating. Um, uh, but but God, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world, okay? I've got a very poor record of making time for comments, questions, discussions, confession time. So one way to get around that is for you to uh, stop me when you want to make a comment or or, uh, ask a question. And feel free to do so. Um, This chapter is chapter 6, following the wonderful counselor. The aim of this chapter, he very helpfully early on puts a, a kind of an aim statement or in for us. Given the messiness of sinners helping sinners, we need a model. And as God's people, we do not have to stumble around. We have the example of the wonderful counselor. This chapter will consider Christ's example and the implications of it of that for us as we seek to be part of his work. Uh, Engaging in the kind of thing this book talks about means uh, of heart change, means following Christ's example, focusing on the heart, starting with our own, hopefully for obvious reasons. God has called us to do nothing less than incarnating Christ to others. And he's going to develop that idea, the idea that we incarnate Christ to others. Um, okay. So, so that's what will be developed as we go along. The case for God's calling on us to incarnate Christ to others. Uh, a lot of things that I've... I'm going to be saying, or you're going to see on here, may not have quotes around it, but really, I mean, it's all, it's all from the book or, or um, um, derivative from it. So, another thing, too, we'll see that this, this chapter is somewhat of an introduction to the rest of the book, okay? Towards the end of this chapter, he... He talks about um, the plan for the rest of the book. And there's going to be a couple of chapters devoted to each each point. Now now think about when I said, um, starting with our own heart, think of the the counselor, the the formal uh, professional counselor, okay? At the end of an hour, he looks at his watch, your time's up, <laughs> and he goes right from there to the next patient. At the end of the day, he, he uh, or she, he or she um, um, goes home. There's nothing, nothing going on that happened during the day. Well, that may be not quite true, but he, he has supper. He watches television, whatever, okay? He just leaves it all behind. Uh, that's not what happens with us, and it's partly because uh, uh, there's an interaction going on between believers. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, 
relationship difficulties can play on our own heart issues. Uh, a person comes to us with relationship difficulties, or as they say, in the, 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 as Tripp says in the book, we may see something going on in somebody's life that we're called on to figure out a way to engage with, you know, okay, at what level and, and how and, and what, you know, what's required here so that we can get blowback from that and that we can have, we can add sinful responses to that, okay? It can play on our own heart issues and subvert our ministry, making it ineffective, our heart can shape our response to ministry opportunities that God puts before us, brings into our life, uh, sends our way. Okay, so that's why, um, I don't know if I have it here. Uh, no. Um, that's why uh, Paul instructed Timothy as a pastor, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and, and your hearers. Okay, and that really kind of, at some level, it, it plays out for the rest of us. Um, to understand your calling, you need to understand the incarnation. Okay, we understand the incarnation as an event. It's, an, it's like the event, if you will, the, uh, the incarnation, the death, resurrection, the ascension of Christ. Um, but of course, it's further than that. It's, uh, as Tripp explains, it's an agenda and a calling for us. Um, why do we need the incarnation of Christ? Uh, let me park here for a moment. Uh, remember from an earlier chapter, each of us are created for God's glory. Uh, all that I am is to be shaped by a humble acknowledgement uh, of God's claim on my life. Okay? Uh, we all believe that, that God is ever-present, that Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us to the close of the age. But for myself, I find it uh, a completely another matter altogether to be shaped to the core uh, by my theology and my knowledge and my tr the truth that's been given to me. It's a lifelong process to be... To be uh, shaped by my theology, okay? The problem is not that, that God is not here or that he's inactive. We, we believe that God's here and that he's working. The problem is that we don't see him. Uh, so, so what happens is our perspective on life is often without God in view, um, missing the glory of the ever-present God, Okay? Uh, why can't we see God? Well, here's three reasons. One is that God is spirit, so we can't physically see him. Uh, our sin makes us morally unfit to look on God. Okay? 
So it's sort of a grace in a way that he's not physically here. But we're going to find out that he is here and he's working through the church. We do not recognize the glory of his grace and power operating in, around us, through us all the time. And that's, I think, I suspect for most Christians, that's where we're at. That we kind of go through life, just the ordinariness, uh, the common grace of life, uh, doing, really, I mean, faithfully doing the things that God calls us to. And, and we, ha- we can have a tendency to, to, to get dull to the idea that God is, is with us. Uh, some time ago, uh, maybe Roxanne is getting tired of this and everybody that's around me when I do this, but I've taken to adding to almost all my prayers that uh, thanking God that he's present, acknowledging that he's present with us, which, which, which we, I think we tend to forget and lose sight of. Um, how does the incarnation of Christ address this? And you can turn to these passages if you want, all except for one of them I'm going to uh, have up here. Well, several of them I won't have up here. But uh, here's John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him, he has made him known. So the first way that, that uh, 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 well, <laughs> The incarnation of Christ is the first thing that addresses the problem of us not being able to see God. Not being able to see him because he's spirit, because we're sinners, and we can't look on that kind of that holiness, uh, and just the ordinariness of life. Okay? He his incarnation makes God known. Okay. And, and Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, John here says, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, full of grace and truth. It's a magnificent um, portrayal of Christ. Okay, and that really kind of sums up the, the gospel of John in a way for us. Um, Keep forgetting what I have on the slide and what's what I don't. Um, he he says the power of the incarnation is that it makes the presence and glory of God visible. By taking on flesh and blood, Christ has made made known this, the unseen God. Now I want to I, I want to qualify that statement a bit because the incarnation accomplishes a lot of things. That's one of them. Uh, it's the incarnation by which um, Christ lived the life that I should have lived. And he died, he took the death that I should have died, okay? Uh, but Christ, in that period of time that the apostles uh, testify to, made the unseen God seen. 
and, and, and what we have is grace and truth. Um, the incarnation gets right to the heart of this, this struggle because it confronts people with the, th- the one thing that can make a lasting difference, the glory of God. Okay? So, what happens when the awesome God is revealed? Okay? One, I mean, just thinking back what it said on this whiteboard here, it exposes the utter emptiness of all other glories that we crave. Okay, we've been going through this in the book that we that, that we we crave other gods. Uh, um, uh, our hearts are an idol factory. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, yeah, let's do this first here. Well, no, here, here, let's do this. Personal ministry is not just about confronting people with principles, theology, or solutions. And all of that can, I mean, theology certainly has to, has to play a part. We have to put, put truth before people, okay? That's the truth part of the grace and truth that we're going to look at here. Uh, it confronts, personal ministry really confronts people with the God who is active and glorious in His grace and truth and who has a rightful claim on our life. That's a quote from here. A word about confronting, uh, another word that grates, I think, uh, bringing, think of it this way, it brings the glory of God before the face of people. Uh, a step further beyond that is sometimes in the face of people, okay? I mean, people do need that. We all need it, at least occasionally. Uh, <clears throat> perhaps in some... I, I can't get over this quote from Schaefer from... I can't remember what book it was. Francis Schaefer. He, he, it, this is kind of what Schaefer referred to when he... Uh, referred to taking the roof off, if you remember that phrase. And here he's beginning to get to the heart of the matter. What we're putting before our face and before the face of others, other believers, is a person. Okay? It's Jesus Christ himself. Okay? The glory revealed in Christ's incarnation must more and more come to mark and define our our own ministry and our discipleship in two ways. Grace. We point people... uh, Sorry, I don't mean to get in your way. We point people to a God who who not only sets the goal for their lives, but who enables them to do what they have never done before. Uh, reconciliation, his grace results in reconciliation, restoration, and peace. The impossibility of sinners becoming godly becomes possible through his grace. Okay? And there, there's, it's not, it, it's, and what we're really referring to here is, is sanctif- the sanctification process. It's not a, uh, as far as our practical sanctification it's not a light switch on and off it's a, it's a progression 
Now, put, death being put, uh, uh, um, sin's power being vanquished, conquered over us was, I believe, <clears throat> a light switch thing. But how it plays out in our lives practically is, is a progression. The Redeemer rescues people from the power of sin, that's the light switch, and progressively eradicates its presence from their lives. That's, his, that's what he wants for you. Uh, uh, it's the Romans 8 uh, promise that he, he works in us for uh, his glory and our good. Okay? Uh, we help people understand it and follow where it leads while they wait for the Redeemer's re- return. That's the grace part of this equation. Truth. And this is what happens when the glory of God is is revealed. Uh, Christ is the word of God, Hebrews 1, on how God wants us to think and live and what he has in mind for us, okay? His vision for us. In his life and teachings, we have truth that we can't naturally have about ourselves, our relationship, our circumstances, our sufferings, uh, and about God. And these are all reasons why people come seeking counsel, needing counsel, okay? This truth destroys, and I don't want to under under, mind that word at all. It destroys our fallen way of thinking about these things. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's Paul that uses the idea that, that uh, about the destruction of, of, I can't remember how it's put, uh, destruction anyway, about the world's way of thinking about things. Okay, We come to things from a worldly point of view and we have to have that undermined. Okay? as part of the overall picture. We offer people a whole new way of making sense of life. We really do. And and don't people need that? They need a whole new way of making sense of things, of explaining things. Uh, um, A worldview where God is central, where unseen things are of the highest value, okay, I think of all kinds of passages that, that relate to these things. Uh, Colossians 3, park your mind on things that are above, okay? And on the hope to come. Uh, and where eternity is, is what makes sense of the present, okay? There's the past that makes sense of the present, what Christ did, but the eternity makes sense of the present. And... and uh, uh, Again, in in 1 John, uh, we find the idea that the world is coming to an end. In the middle of of, um, the the battle, the intimidation of the battle, we have to hang on to the idea that it's not going to last. The world is coming to an end. The darkness is going to come to an end. It is coming to an end. We set before people, we set, set before people a person. 
the person of Christ. Uh, Living a godly life, which addresses all the issues that we face, okay, it's kind of the end goal. Living a godly life means trusting Christ, following Christ, living like Him. Grace and truth will always lead people to Christ. Okay. And here's another word, um, agenda. I kind of alluded to this earlier. Long earlier, uh, we we have a new agenda, um, and and God has an agenda. He has a plan for carrying out His purposes. You'll notice what happened. <clears throat> why 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 trip is why trip is dwelling on this, uh, the idea that we incarnate to others, this person, Christ. It's because physically Christ ascended. He went back. Spiritually, he's with us to the close of the age. Don't lose sight of that. But but on the night he left, he prayed this prayer, a long prayer, but we're going to focus on a little bit of it. God's plan for the church and by extension each of his children is seen in Jesus' prayer on the night of his arrest. Listen to what Jesus prayed for his disciples at this crucial point in time in his life. Okay, John 17.20, starting there. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, this is a prayer you've had put before you, I've had put before me over and over again. Okay? But it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it, looking at it every time. Yes? Well, let me, let me do that by going through this passage, and then I'll, if I remember, I'll stop and ask you again. And, and, and let's see. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's, let's look at how, what God had what God says in this passage first, and then then we'll think about that again. Um, So he has in mind there, okay, he has in mind, look at verse 20, for those who will believe in me through their word. He has in mind that, that Christ physically isn't going to be present proclaiming 
the gospel. It's going to be the apostles initially and those who then believe proclaiming the gospel. Okay, So there's a, there's a ministry there, if you will. And it's really all of us at this point. It's, it's not, uh, there's the apostles first and then we take the apostles' word and it plays out. Now, now notice, and this gets at a, a, a related question to Mike's, what does it look like? Okay. Um, he asks the things that he's been praying that in order, notice all the that's in here. It, it's, it's so that, okay. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So here, right away, he's elevating his, he's defining the unity that God, that he's praying for, for us, in terms of the unity that's in the Trinity. Okay? Now, think about the ordinary church. Think about this church, even. Okay? I mean, if I put the unity of our church here, where am I going to put the unity of the Trinity? Well, it's going to be way, way out there in Argentina somewhere, you know what I mean? Okay, there's that big of a gap in our, in our perception of things. But let me ask you a question. If, if the Son of God prayed to the God the Father this very prayer... For this kind of unity, is he is he working it out, or has is it like has he dropped the ball? <laughs> okay. If there's a gap, if 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 we don't see, if we don't perceive it, that unity, then what does that mean? I'd propose to you that it means that. He's progressively working it out in this congregation and in your lives as we interrelate in the body. And he's doing that worldwide, too, in different congregations and in the unity of Christians around the world. And he's also working out in ways that we don't necessarily perceive and comprehend okay I think that's what it means um, going on that they okay in order that they also may be in us so that I mean you have a cascading chain of so that's so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you've given me, and remember he prayed at the very start about you know, receiving the glory again that he had with the Father before. Okay, <laughs> okay. this is another big one, another hurdle of our mind to, to kind of get our arms around, our mind around. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them. He's done it, okay, and he is doing it for every generation, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. 
perfectly, <laughs> if you will. Okay, so that the world may know, may know that you sent me and loved me, loved them even as you loved me. So the world sees this, whatever it is. We in our ordinary life, our congregational life, may may not necessarily see it all the time, or we may have things arise that say, man, we're completely divided over this thing, okay? But, but the world sees it. They're outside looking in. And what, what, is that, what does that lead to for them for when they see this? So that the world may know that you sent me. Okay, non-believers go through life, 1 John, go through life, denying that Christ came in the flesh, that he was sent from the Father, okay, and that, uh, and that, that God speaks through him, okay? But here they come to know it. Even if they deny it, they know it. Uh, and that, that, uh, that the Father loved the believers even as the Father loved Christ, the Son. Okay, you got that in your mind? Can you get your mind around that? Okay. The, the mystery mystery kind of has to be a component of, of how we see life, I think. We may not see it, but that doesn't mean it's not going on that God is not working, okay? Now, the evidence for this, I think, <clears throat> is right here, okay? Has God been doing this down through the generations? I mean, if, if this weren't true, there would be no next generation after the apostles. You understand that part? There'd be no... If there wasn't some witness that God put in the world, there would be no next generation. There would be nothing to look at and say, oh, God sent Jesus. He loved these people. And you all are evidence of that. Okay? And each generation down through the ages. Now, let me stop there for a moment. I don't know if that gets to the heart of your question, but... Um, and we'll look at how this play, how the incarnation plays out a little bit more here in a moment. But do you have any questions about that? When you say incarnation, you talk about Christ's incarnation. You talk about our incarnation. I, I guess what I'm saying here is that he's beginning to get, he's beginning to edge into the idea that we incarnate Christ. Okay. Um, if, if you look at the broader scope of this prayer and that night, the things that Jesus said that night in John, uh, you'll see that that um, I, I believe that you'll begin to see that we are putting Christ we almost in our person because we're we're. Um, 
we're the children of God, we become Christ to people in, in some sense. Now, obviously, that begins with proclaiming Christ verbally, of the gospel. But it means living it out. In a way, you can say that the gospel is... Here's the evidence of the gospel. It's these lives. Uh, these things are, are happening. This, this transformation is happening. Uh, I don't know if that helps a little bit, but let's, let's go on a little bit. Maybe some of this will become more clear. Uh, God and his glory is made known no longer in the physical presence of Christ, but in the glory of his work through his people as we live incarnationally. Okay. Yes. Yeah, right. And if the, yes, right. And if some of this, um, is overwhelming in the sense of, well, what do I do? I've got to do, I've got to be this. I've got to make myself be this. Well, you notice how the prayer goes. It's praying that God would work this in them in ways that are perhaps mysterious to us, but very real. Another one. Uh, People are changed by seeing Christ in new ways. Okay, uh, This is a verbal proclamation of the truth and seeing it play out. Ways that re- reveal the bankruptcy of their own agendas and the emptiness of the glories they seek. Their most important encounter is not with the counselor. It really isn't you. It's with Christ. Christ in you. Does that help answer the idea of incarnation? Christ promised to be in us. Okay, That's going to make a difference. You go through life, I go through life saying, oh, I'm, I'm failing here, failing there. Well, Christ is, is in us and he's progressively conforming. God is progressively conforming, conforming us to the image of Christ. Uh, we're there to set up that encounter. I'm not sure quite what he meant by that, but we, we're there through the word, through, through uh, uh, our relationships, having them in our home, uh, interacting with them in ordinary things to set up that encounter. As they begin to see him and the emptiness of their own ways, they begin to home, oh, not hop, hope. <laughs> that things can be different. You know, um, I um, let me tell you the kind of movie I like. Okay? It's the kind of movie that, that helps me to, let's see, that, that give, well, well, let me give you an example. You may not like this movie for good reasons. I'm, I'm just going to put it before you, but um, it's Finding Forrester. Finding Forrester. I'm not going to recommend it because of the language, okay? But let me tell you why I like it. 
um, it it shows us that 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 the divisions that we normally think of between people, some of the big divisions, are, can be overcome. Okay, uh, young and old, these two main actors, young and old, uh, black and white, rate, uh, what, what we think of as uh, ethnic divisions. Okay, uh, rich and poor. Okay, these divisions are not not set in stone, and they can they can they can be overcome. And that's the kind of movie I I, I like. It's that the ones that help me see that that things are not necessarily the way the world puts it before me, okay? Um, so where does that, how does that relate? Um, what, we, what, what people need to see, they need to see a vision of God's idea of things and his, his vision for people, for themselves, and that's called hope. If we, if we get an uh, if through the, the proclamation of the gospel verbally and through the lives of people, we can begin to see that things don't have to be the way they are. We don't have to have uh, things that seem insurmountable to us, relationship difficulties, uh, uh, um, other things. I'm, I'm not going to give you a list, but it's a whole list of things. Um, they begin to hope that things can be different. God has placed his glory on us so that our lives and ministry would reveal him on earth. In this way, incarnation for us is a life agenda. Now, I hope this gets to the, the questions I've been getting. Uh, let's go on to this passage, which I'll have you turn to because I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, the incarnation as a calling. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to the start of chapter 6. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. One has died for all controls Paul. And that's the love of Christ. And he died for all that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay. Christ died for us, and, and the end result is that they live for him who died for them. 17, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's been recreated. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, uh, that, that is 
reflective of what we saw in John 17 prayer, those who uh, believe in me through their word. Okay. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, whatever you believe about how visible uh, your salvation is, um, my, my, if my perception of myself, my, vis, my, the visibility of my salvation is pretty weak. Um, but through what Christ did, we become the righteousness of God. That's an astounding statement. Uh, but, but I think we're led there by our belief that that our righteousness is in Christ. We, we have no righteousness apart from him, but it comes to us in Christ. And that's what the world can see if they don't reject it. Working together with him, this is chapter 6, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, and, and so we're proclaiming Christ, and we are telling people that, that now's the time. Okay. An ambassador, okay, so the calling is to be an ambassador. An ambassador represents the, his king who is not physically present full time. He, he, he represents him full time as a lifestyle. Now, you can see how this can, can conflict with our own fallen self. We're, we're not our own. We were bought with a price. You know, from a worldly point of view, that's not the whole, that's not it at all. We are our own, and uh, we own ourselves. Uh, we kind of carry that with us, and we're part of the sanctification process just to... to uh, undermine that. We no longer watch out for our own interests, but for the interests of another, sent by him for his purposes, not our own. Um, the, the work of an ambassador. Uh, we represent the message of the king. And, and by the way, these things cause us, or, or these questions that, that we have here are kind of tools to, that we can ask ourselves as we go through situations in life, okay? So the kind of questions we ask when uh, uh, we represent, we know we represent the message of the king, what does my Lord want to communicate to this person in this situation, okay? Uh, what truths shape my response, and if you're like me, I, <laughs> I don't go through life thinking, oh, how should I respond to this? Okay, I have to go back and, and kind of pick up the mess that I make from my improper response. Okay, but but that's an opportunity. You know, 
kind of a humbling uh, opportunity to uh, to uh, put the same things in view. What truth, okay, what goals should motivate me? We represent the, the methods of the king, and the questions there are uh, how, we're, uh, you know, we look at God and say, how does he do this? How does the Lord bring change in me and in others? Because it's not me. Yeah, I, I'm not doing it. God is doing it. He's the change agent. How did the Lord re- respond to people when he was on earth? What responses are consistent with the goals and resources of the gospel? Okay. We represent the character of the king. Uh, and here we kind of get into why questions. Why does the Lord do what he does? Uh, one application of that might be uh, um, that God has great patience in the process he has a person in, okay? Do we have that same patience? Okay, we want, you know, we, we're constantly with people, a person, you know, putting truth before them. We don't see anything happen but we're not looking down the road, okay? God has great patience. Um, How did he respond to Peter? I'm sorry. How can I faithfully represent the character that motivates his redemptive work? What motivates, what motives in my own heart could hinder what the Lord wants to do in this situation? We kind of search our own hearts in these situations. So you're not detached. I mean, there's no objective detachment here. Uh, we're in, in the situations we're in. As, amba- as ambassadors, we're doing nothing less than turning our backs on the confines of our own many kingdoms, our own little kingdom, and opening up ourselves to the grandeur of the kingdom of God and the glory of representing him. So one question to ask, perhaps in, in answer to some of these questions, is uh, where do we see the message, methods, and character of Christ explained? Um, and of course, that's only in the pages of Scripture. Uh, we see his teaching in places like the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of other places, uh, the parables. We see, and that's his methods, uh, his message, we see his way with people, his methods, in passages describing his encounters with Nicodemus, the woman at the well. You know, two contrasting uh, uh, descriptions that we need to really kind of immerse ourselves in. Uh, the disciples, the crowds. He's, he's this way with this person because he perceives this need, and he's this way with another person because he perceives that need. You know, you can see that in John quite a bit. Um, and then uh, he, we see his character in passages like Philippians 2, 1 to 13. He, uh, he, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to, to be grasped. Do we grasp our position, our status, you know, he didn't. 
But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then Ephesians 4 um, be kind to one another. There's a lot of lot he covers here, but be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of, of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And 1 Peter 2.23, when he, Christ, was reviled, he did not revile in return. What's your first response? What's my first response? When somebody cuts me off in traffic or, or misunderstands me, you know, uh, okay. When he suffered, he didn't threat, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to, to him who judges justly. What's the purpose of the cross? This, uh, going back to Second uh, Corinthians five verse fifteen, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. And part of what God is doing in in our lives is, is the same thing. That is. Uh, dying to ourself so that uh, so that others may no longer live from themselves. Now Christ accomplished of course in his death he accomplished the, the one thing that's needful okay so that they may no longer live from themselves but but we we're, we're dying to ourselves so that they can have Christ put before them okay this now the the areas of ministry I'm talking about here I mean even if you say oh I can't I can't do what this book is aiming at well you kind of have to because you you're you, you you're in a family you're in a you may be in a marriage you may have children you can't get around <laughs> this this idea of having to die to yourself you you're at work um you're a neighbor. You're in relationships. Whether you you want to live like like a, <laughs> I think it's Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters puts Napoleon way out, infinitely away from everybody else, in his own little house. You can just barely see the glimmer of the lamp out there. We're not that way. That's hell. Okay. So, the book ends with a look forward at the rest of the book. How to live as ambassadors is the focus of the rest of this book, he says at the end of the book, at the end of the chapter. Uh, When people only want things or circumstances to change or others to change, our goal must be to lead them to a deeper, fuller view of change to examine their hearts and see the need for change at that level. When they 
only want a do list or a set of principles, then our goal must be set the person to set the person of Christ before them. Uh, four ways let's see. Four ways we function as God's instruments of change in another person's life. And they're going to focus two chapters each. Love, know, speak, do. Love highlights the importance of relationships in the process of change. I mean, God didn't plan this whole thing uh, with relationships as a key component for nothing. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a key, key part of what God has in mind. No has to do with really getting acquainted with the people God sends our way, knowing the heart. Uh, and that's, I don't mean by summarizing this in a sentence that that, that makes it really easy. It's a process. Uh, knowing their beliefs, their goals, their hopes and dreams, their values and desires, to get below the surface and then to help them to know themselves accurately, more accurately, okay? Speak involves bringing God's truth to bear on this person in this situation, speaking the truth in love to help them see their life clearly, uh, seeing themselves in the mirror of God's word, and to see God and the resources for change he has provided in Christ. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. That's true. Right. Relationship again. It's a two-way street, and and we we can't say you know I'm the counselor, you're the counselee. <laughs> you know we can't do that. Because we, we, we watch out for one another. Um, do is helping them to do something with what they learn. Again, in James. Uh, to apply insights, knowledge, theology to the practical, specific realities of life. Now, just saying that makes me realize that, that, that you know that's a big hurdle for me. Uh, for me personally. So, I, you know, theoretically, uh, we're helping others do that. Well, we've got to be doing it ourselves. Um, but God helps us. Now, uh, I'm going to make a proposal to you. Uh, the men are going to be looking through First John, uh, first, second, and third John. Um, but I'm finding it to be a practical way of moving from theology a good way of moving from theology to life, if you will. So you might read that when you have a chance. We want for others, I don't know if I have this. Yeah, we want for others and for ourselves that, that we would increasingly see ourselves and others in the light of God's holiness, grace, and truth. That's what we want for them. And for ourselves. Well, we're five minutes over. We've had a few questions. Sat, un, unsatisfactorily answered. Sorry.
Um, so let's pr- close in prayer. Lord God, um, we, we are humbled before the greatness of God who is great on our behalf in all these things we've been talking about. So we pause there and uh, thank you for that. Ask you that you would just continue to work out your, uh, your purposes for us and acknowledging that you will and you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.